believe it's only been a year since the last time we tried to do this. <laughs> Just a year? Yeah. <laughs> Just a year? Oh my god. It was the Babadook, right? Yeah. Well, we had illusions of talking about a new release and then the new release got kicked and we thought, oh, we're just going to have to wait another week or two to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, all right, we're going to need to change course. But I mean, even talking about the Babadook was last March. It fe That feels like it was like four birthdays ago. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada, and you're listening to episode 256 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast and my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Folks, it's been a year, 525,600 minutes since we all went home. The world closed up. Things got scary. Things got lonely. Things got crazy. One whole year. Nuts, isn't it? Back then, we were talking about keeping locked down for maybe a few months. We, some optimistic people thought it might be a few weeks. We really didn't expect what we probably should have expected. And as we mentioned in the introduction a year ago, my guest and I were making plans to talk about a sequel to A Quiet Place. And here we are a year later, still unsure when we're ever going to get to see it. But she's still here, and I'm still here, the show is still here, and you're still here. And for all of that, we are thankful. My guest today is used to exposing herself to the nightmarish, though probably not nightmares like the one we're currently enduring. She's a programmer with Blood in the Snow Film Festival and a writer at A View from the Dark and a good local friend. Carolyn Morissette is here. How are you, Carolyn Morissette? Hello! I'm okay. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> you're, you're comfy in your jammies midday comfy on a Thursday? Comfy in my jammies, yep. Comfy in my jammies, so I love yeah. it. On episode 256, we are going to be discussing test pattern. We'll flip the record over to play the other side. But first, we need to learn more about Carolyn. This is Know Your Enemy. Carolyn is a fourth-time guest. On her first appearance, which was episode 171, we discussed a cure for wellness. We learned the first film she ever saw in a theater was The Apple Dumpling Gang. The last film she'd seen at the time was The Girl on the Train. The worst film she's ever seen is Nurse 3D. The unseen classic or essential was Easy Rider, and the film she wished she'd made is Cronenberg's Crash. Then on episode 176, Carolyn returned. We talked about Colossal. We learned the film that everybody else hates that she digs is Lords of Salem. The film that everybody else likes that she does not is The Innkeepers. The last movie to make her cry is Moonlight. In the movie of her life, she'd be played by Megan Good. And the film she was watching next wasn't so much a film as it was a TV series, something called Jord Scott from Sweden. Then on episode 219, the last time we talked in person, uh, we discussed Jordan Peele's Us. We learned the film that made her love a film turn a corner is E.T. Her first date movie was Basic Instinct. Her sick day movie is any CGI monster movie. So Doom, Resident Evil, films of that ridiculous ilk. The last film to leave her speechless and breathless was the Suspiria remake. And her film epitaph was We'll Go Somewhere Where There's Cheese from Wallace and Gromit. So it's time for round four, Miss Marset. What is a film? And this could get interesting given your proclivities. What is a film you really dig, but you never want to watch again? In kind of, 
you know, fellowship with the film we're going to watch or we're going to talk about today um, is Irreversible by Gaspar Noe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I will never watch that film. I mean, it was artfully done. Um, I love Gaspar Noe, but I'm never watching that film again. It's crazy because that film has a lot in common with the film that we're going to talk about today. You're right. Like both mm-hmm. from the nature of the fact that it it depicts a sexual assault to the fact that it depicts a relationship and it, and all of its ups and downs. Um, Gaspar Noé is a really strange film, filmmaker. Um, and I say that only having seen two of his movies, but I think two is enough for me to really get a grip on what this man is about. Tell people about this movie because I, I, I kind of feel like it's been lost to time a little bit. I, I feel like mm-hmm. like listeners of this show might know about it, but there's a lot of casual listeners who might not have ever heard of Irreversible from whenever it was. I think it was like 2003 that movie came out. Because I will never watch it again. From memory, it is a basically a film about uh, a woman um, and she gets brutally um, sexually assaulted and the film goes in reverse. So it's it's... Like basically, it's it's filmed in reverse. It's it's weird because you kind of see things in, in a different perspective because of the way it's filmed, um, and it's so artfully done. But again, it's just the it's it's just very jarring. It's very jarring, and um, it stars Monica Bellucci and um, Vincent Cassel, and it's it's they're so good, and it's so jarring. But again, it's artfully done. But it is like a one-off. Like you, you watch it and you're like, yikes! <laughs> Just and you sit in a dark corner for hours. So yeah, yeah, yeah. huddled <laughs> in the fetal position, kind of like pleading for your mom. The the really nutters thing is along with the fact that it shows a very visceral sexual assault, and it's like a locked off camera for a really long time. Like I want to say it's mm-hmm. like it's like three or four minutes it's a really really long sexual assault it doubles down because before you even get to that you watch a brutal beating like i i, I want to say it's a it's like a bludgeoning to death um it which is, really is you know it's and, and i mean we're telling things in reverse so it's kind of it's the response to the rape um but w- once you get beyond those two scenes it really opens up and becomes something really beautiful with two beautiful people in it. I mean, there are worse things for me to spend my time with than watching a film with Vincent Cassell and Monica Bellucci. But because like you say, you have to get past that opening 10 or 15 minutes. You never want to again. It's um, it's a rough one. I I see that one come up on a lot of lists of like incredible movies and like, and, and, you know, and and like masterpieces of, of the 21st century, but it's, it's either a one and done or people are just like, they see the trigger warnings and they nope out. So yeah, mm-hmm. I can totally see that one as, as, as one. I like that might even be my own answer as a film. I really dig, but never want to watch again. All right. Mistress of the dark. I am very, very curious. What is a film that genuinely <laughs> freaked you out? Still to this day, the um, exorcism of Emily Rose. I can't oh. watch that by myself. So why that one? I think because it's based on a, a, a real case. Uh, this young woman, I think her, her family, they lived on a farm and they were very religious and they thought that she was possessed. And um, it stars, um, is it Jennifer Carpenter from Dexter? She plays Dexter's sister. 
Yes. Um, yes. So she plays Emily Rose and that performance was just incredible. Like she's just incredible. But the thing that gets me is um, Laura Linney plays the, um, the, the lawyer that is investigating this case. And she has some moments where I believe she lives alone. And every 3 a.m. she wakes up. Every morning at 3 a.m. she wakes up and she hears noises. And um, I believe she loses a necklace and then the necklace shows up. Um, just these really creepy, coincidental things that happened to her. And the first time I saw that movie, I'm like, what the hell? Because um, I, I, a long time ago, I used to deal with insomnia and I would wake up at 3 a.m. <laughs> like, uh. What the hell? <laughs> like it wouldn't it, on the dot 3 a.m. I would wake up. So that kind of freaked me out. And um, I think it was just a. Uh, the Jennifer Carpenter's performance is just, it just gives you chills. It's horrific. It really is horrific. I own it. I bought it. I own it. I just uh, haven't, you know, if I do watch it, I think I'll watch it with my sister. And actually, um, you know, there's a, a show my, my, my sister will not watch by herself. She never finished the series. I, it's Marianne on Netflix. Okay. okay. Have, you, have you seen that? No, oh, no, I'm so you're good. you've you've kind of you've tapped into a very, very particular vein because I am yeah. kind of a chicken shit when it comes to all things oh, yeah. exorcism related. Um yes. just you know, just because of like how I was raised and everything like that. Like that is yes. one thing that will burrow into my brain and give me nightmares. Um yeah. I guess my 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 question though is like you surround yourself with all kinds of scariness like it doesn't mm. you know we've already established you put this on for fun so yeah you know i'm i'm curious it's just you're saying in this case it's just execution of story and performance of this one that mm -hmm. really gets to you i don't know what it is about and I, I believe it was scott derrickson that um directed that film too and he did just a, such an incredible job i think maybe it's because it was so I don't know, maybe it was so realistic because I was um, raised Catholic. So my parents use exorcism as a like a disciplining <laughs> tool. Like they're like, if you'll be right. possessed by the devil if you're a bad girl kind of thing. Right. So like the exorcist, you know, they're like, this could happen to you. And I'm like, thanks. Um, exorcism yeah. of Emily Rose. All right. Great answer. I love it. Um, yeah. The flip side of this, of course, what is the movie that always makes you laugh? Uh, Step Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie so oh, much. Oh, God. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Every time. I, if I see it on TV, stop everything, I will watch it. I love that movie. It's so dumb. <laughs> you know, I, I, I like when I saw that in theaters, I don't, I, I think I rolled my eyes so hard. I used the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the old Liz Lemon quote of like, I, I, I rolled my eyes so hard. I like threw something out of joint. Um, but it, I keep kind of coming on back around to it over the years. I think because so many other people laugh so hard at it. Like, do you have a favorite moment from that movie? <laughs> yes. The bunk beds. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. All right. You'll have to edit the loudness Not a chance. of the Nope, nope, that's staying in. Your joy is part of my listeners' experience. Um, I mean, it's it's funny. Like we're we're in an age where I'm so tired of like grown men acting like children, but at the same time, Will Ferrell and John C. Riley find a way to act like children 
in a Ugh. way that still keeps it amusing. I don't know what I think it's because they don't they own it. You know, like they always commit to the bit. But so. you know, here's the thing. I relate so much to that scene because when I was a kid, <laughs> okay, so I have um childhood friends. They're basically like family. Like um my mom was friends with her best with her mom. They were mm-hmm. best friends. So we grew up together. Like she's basically my sister. So I used to play with her little sister, her, her cousins, and we'd run around and we were like, yeah, let's build this thing. And it's going to be so cool. We're going to build it. And it's going to hold all of us, all six of us. And I know that the thing would totally fall apart and somebody would break a leg. Right. right so right. that scene just takes me back to those times where like, yeah, let's build this fort out of these twigs and oh, it's going to be so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's so dumb. So yeah, I think that's why I enjoy this movie so much. And it, yeah, they're complete idiots. Like complete oh, yeah. idiots. What is your favorite movie soundtrack? Oh my god, I have a tie. Is that I'll okay? Is that allowed? Okay. We, listen, so, we've we've been in our jammies for a year. At this point, the rules are just <laughs> out the window. Okay. Out the window. Yep. Okay. There's a tie for "Under the Skin" um, by Mika Levy. Ooh, okay. Oh love that soundtrack and then a newer one is the um the 2018 suspiria by tom york love keep that bringing one suspiria back into the show it's uh, yeah. i think you're setting a record so okay yep. let's talk about uh, under the skin for so under the skin that's that's more of a score for the brian glazier mm-hmm. film from mm-hmm. i think that one's 2013 thereabouts it's a haunting kind of ambient score like it's it's mm-hmm this really low droning um i'm remembering this now there's a lot to it it's it's mm-hmm. got like I, I feel like it's got like strings that go like wow and that kind of thing yeah it's it's just it's got a lot going on and i'm um i'm a, i love electronic music um i'm mm-hmm. a drum and bass head forever um not too many people like that sort of music so i kind of have to listen to it in my corner and like <laughs> you know but anyway right. so anything that has like a uh, like a, a robotic sound or some sort of like a weird like electronic sound for me just kind of hits some sort of nerve center for me and I love it and also it's just really creepy and yeah. it's just filled with tension and it just kind of leads you to kind of you don't know what to expect and so mm-hmm. it leads that uncertainty and I, I really enjoy that it's it's crazy because uh Mika Levy who did this score she also did that really trippy score for jackie which i know a lot of people actually really hated that score but they i think they have a lot in common um i can see i can like this i can see a time and place where i would want this score on like this certainly sounds like it would be a great score to write to Mm -hmm. i I know a lot of people hate that movie but i just i love that movie so much it's so divisive and and the score Mm -hmm. was a huge part of that because a lot of times you're just listening to that while Scarlett Johansson walks around doing her stalker alien thing. Um, and then, and then Suspiria. Okay. So Suspiria, I mean, you, you've got Tom York there. So already I'm, I'm, I'm much more likely to put on the Suspiria score than I am Mm -hmm. the under the skin score. And this is the second time in two episodes that you've brought up this remake of Suspiria, which by the way, I've now seen. So thank you for finally nudging me towards it. It is, very weird and very, very different from that first movie. Um, yeah. The Tom York score, though, is it's not quite like a solo Tom York record, but he's got a few uh, uh, tracks where he does vocals. 
the the song that they dance to uh, that they do the big dance performance to that when i saw the movie in the theater and they did that scene i my head goosebumps i huh. love that track i love that track it's it just gives me goosebumps tom york like anytime he does the music for something i'm always on board which is weird because i was really late to the party when it comes to radiohead like i didn't really get into them until 2003 when radiohead was like the toast of music nerds and music fandom at the beginning of the century with kid a and amnesiac i was just not on board at all mm. I, I just didn't get them but then by the time they got around to 2003 my my taste had changed enough and they moved on to a little bit more uh a little less experimental stuff and i, I it clicked for me so it's funny looking back now of like if you had it told like 2000 me that he would have been hearing you say Tom York for like your favorite soundtrack and me saying good answer. Like I would have been like, yeah. Dude, it changed. Um, <laughs> but that is that I love both. Like that, that's a, those are great answers. I love both of those soundtracks yeah. and they are, they have similarities, but they are very, very different in terms of yeah. the tones they set. So um, yeah, you can, you can totally take the ox anytime. The, the song that I love, it's called Volk. That's Volk. it. The right. Volk. I'm going to just end this episode with Volk just for kicks so people can hear this tune that you're digging. Uh, last but not least for now, what is a movie you love but seemingly nobody else has heard of? Another kind of uh, horror-y, horror-adjacent horror film. Um, it's the, the I know, right? It's The Conspiracy. Have you ever seen that one? It's a Canadian film. I want to say no. It's about these two guys who are basically looking into this Illuminati-type um, organization and so it's a mockumentary and they actually interview actual um, university professors like somebody from U of T um, and then they kind of they want to go in undercover and uh, Julian Richings is in it and I love him so much I love him <laughs> he actually came to the film festival um, I can't remember it's because he was in a film or um, supporting it, but I just, he came up to the ticket table and I'm like, are you truly enriching? Why are you trying to buy a ticket? Like, um, so yeah, he's in it. And it's, it's just such a creepy film because it, it, they go down this rabbit hole of trying to investigate this organization. And um, they talk about um, kind of ancient rituals. It's really great. So I have not seen that. So good work. Um, but I will <laughs> take a look for it. Um, I'm not surprised that it's something that's that's kind of creepy. I actually feel uh, I, I kind of feel ashamed that I haven't seen that one either because <laughs> I actually went to high school with Aaron Poole. He was a few years ahead of me, but we both oh. went to the same school for the arts in Etobicoke. And every time I see names that I remember from school turn up in something, I usually try to make a point to track it down. But um, Aaron, of course, he's been in a whole bunch of stuff that mm -hmm. uh, I, I really should have seen this by now, but I totally haven't. So, I mean, this one, this was one that I'll tell you that like, I'll take the bait, like Exorcism of Emily Rose. No, but um, <laughs> Aaron Poole in, in um, Conspiracy, I'll totally see this movie. And you're right. Like, you know, it's kind of one of those unfortunate things of, the Canadian film system is something really, really has to knock down a whole bunch of barriers to get an mm -hmm. audience. Like forget about international. Like that's, that's one whole animal in itself, even just locally. Like it's really, really hard for Canadian film to really find 
uh, an audience unless it's something like Orphan Black or Pontypool or one of those kinds of movies. It's really, really hard for stuff to catch mm-hmm. on. So you're right. It's it's the unfortunate part about living in Canada is that we should be better about our own product, but just because of the way the system is and the way that we're affected by media from such a large media neighbor, we really don't. So I'll make a point of that. Yeah. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah. Um, and speaking of smaller films that people may or may not have heard of, uh, we have one for you. And I know that when it comes to our smaller films uh, episodes, people tend not to tune in because, you know, it's, it's hard to listen to people talk about a movie you haven't seen. But I do hope that you come back and listen to our conversation because um, it's a really good movie and it's a really important movie. Um, we're going to be talking about Test Pattern right after this. Come on back. It's the new slide. Everywhere I go Test Pattern is written and directed by Shatara Michelle Ford. It stars Brittany S. Hall and Will Brill. Brill and Hall play Evan and Renisha. The film begins with their meeting, the awkwardness of their initial courtship, and the sweetness of their early relationship before pushing forward to the present day. On this present day, Renisha goes out for a girls' night with her best friend, while Evan stays home to give the women their space. While she's out, Renisha and her friend meet some guys, by the time the dust settles, Renisha finds herself sexually assaulted and trying to make her way home. The morning after, Evan shuttles Renisha from pillar to post around Austin, Texas, trying to find a medical center that will provide a rape kit. Confoundingly, a tall ask, when people like them have no energy for any sort of tall ask. Test pattern is a bit of a tough watch. Not because the act at its core is played up with any kind of sensationalistic way, this is not a film like Irreversible that we talked about in the introduction to this movie, but more because of the raw emotion on display between two loving people in its aftermath. This movie would be a tough sell for audience in ordinary times, but these are hardly ordinary times. These are times when people seem to want to escape, not take their vitamins, not eat their vegetables, and not do their exercise. So pop quiz hotshot, how are we to convince people to spend 80 minutes with this story. How, when things seem so damn hard, are we to convince a viewer to spend 80 minutes with something potentially harder? First of all, it's an indie film. So, um, and being a programmer for indie filmmakers. So, um, because we should um, also support the director, um, Shatera Michelle Ford, uh, who is a black woman. I believe she identifies as uh, part of the queer community, uh, the LGBTQ plus community. She basically finances with her own money to make this film about something that happens to women all the time, but you never see this particular perspective. Um, It's from a black woman's perspective, but I also feel like we're looking at it and we're seeing two perspectives of this, you know, of this violent act. We're seeing a like a black woman and what she's going through, and we're seeing her white boyfriend and what he's going through. And the two, unfortunately, don't meet. And I think this perspective is very, really important. Also, black women in general 
we don't get a lot of um, opportunities to talk about our perspective or it's usually dismissed. The director Ford to do this, um, I think is really important. It's very important. Stories making the rounds of how Ford was able to make this movie and the story goes that she financed it by splitting it over something like nine credit cards. It's, it's crazy for starters, um, but you have to admire and respect that somebody was so passionate about telling their story that they would put mm-hmm. themselves so far out there like that. Like, let's be honest, she's taking a huge risk doing that because it's going to be really hard to make a lot of money back on, on this kind of film, no matter like, you know, whether, however much that, that credit card balance was, mm-hmm. it's going to be hard to, to make money back. So she really believes in this, believes in the message it tells. She's betting on herself, right? In terms of her, her ability to tell more stories in the future and parlay this into a career where she can tell more stories like this, which I believe she will. Um, this is, mm-hmm. this is, an incredible, I believe it's her feature debut. Um, it is, yeah. And it's mm-hmm. an incredible debut, succinct at 80 minutes, a difficult subject that's told with so much grace um, and, and so much um, economy. And mm-hmm. it gets back to something I was talking about with someone a week or two ago that we have leveled the playing field when it comes to making films. If you go back... 20 years ago, um, you had to make a film. I mean, first of all, on film, on physical 35 millimeter or 16 millimeter stock with cameras mm-hmm. and you needed editing bays and a film always cost at least a certain amount of money. The tools to make them have become so much more economical that now anybody who wants to, like, you know, a bunch of kids can go make a movie. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody is going to make a good movie, but it does mean that we get a chance for more voices to have their chance on the stage. And that I think is what we're seeing with storytellers like Ford. I think to answer my own question, the other thing I I think is important about this film and why people should see it right now, it comes down to a meme that's been making the rounds on Twitter. Like you're seeing a lot of people who are putting up the meme of March, 2020, March, 2021. And they're picking like, an actor looking like all plucky and and full of life and then all haggard and and rough. Mm -hmm. And I actually need to say that that's a meme that's rubbing me the wrong way. Um, We saw it before in 2016, like after Brexit and after the American election, a lot of people were posting on Twitter about like, same thing, me, me beginning of 2016, me at the end of 2016. And I, in both cases, I felt like saying, what have you gone through? You specifically, what have you gone through this year? Because if it's just the general state of the world, yeah, that sucks. But mm-hmm. there are a lot of people out there who've gone through some real shit. You know, there are a lot of people out there who have lost loved ones, people out there who have lost jobs, people who have lost their health, people like the characters in this movie who have gone through something deeply traumatic. And I feel like getting out like even when you're feeling like shit getting outside yourself for 90 minutes and seeing you know just the way of the world for a woman of color and the way of the world for an interracial couple i believe that's important because it's really too easy to get caught up in your own shit you know her her boyfriend um evan which she his nickname is snoopy uh in the film he 
is very loving and he's he's just behind her 100 percent and so that that's kind of the the good side of the spectrum you know if you know i often think about people like in quarantine who are in abusive relationships and say don't have anywhere to go and who could be having their partner assault them all the time and like they're stuck in this place so i mean it's true like you kind of have to um you know put it in perspective in terms of you know eh, it's not so bad you know hey i'm feeling kind of crap today because i can't go for a walk or i I can't go to the store and like browse big deal you know suck it up because there are people who are dealing with much deeper issues and and deep-seated issues and things that may come up and you know there's so much more and I feel like the film just covers like one kind of snapshot of the situation when you pull out the dipstick of from the situation how much deeper does it go like how you know deep is this like emotion and darkness and all of that from the situation it's weird because um, I got a, an email from the PR that was for this film and and I read it. And, it, it, you know, I kind of found that the PR was a, just a little bit misleading because it kind of um, posed it as a thriller hmm. and, and um, like, you know, psychological horror. And I'm like, yes and no. Like, because I'm, you know, obviously I'm my, I love horror. That's what I'm going to deal with. So I thought, oh, maybe there's something to this film that has kind of like a kind of a supernatural horrific, but I think they meant in terms of a horrific ordeal for this woman. And what you don't see is um, in your face violence. It's not in your face. And actually I really like this film for the softness because very insidious because the, the feelings creep up on you and the situation. So she goes out with her friend. She doesn't want to drink. She just started a new job. She has a drink. They meet a couple of guys. They offer them, um, you know, cannabis gummies or what they say are cannabis gummies. And so Renisha takes one and along with the drinks and she doesn't usually do drugs. She's just not like, you know, into drugs. So um, she does it. And then her male, the, the suitor, I guess, um, takes her home and sexually assaults her. And all of this kind of happens in, in this weird kind of a dreamlike sequence. It's it's soft, but it's insidious, insidious because she doesn't know what's happening. It's kind of, it really does feel like a dream and she's not aware of her surroundings. So I really like how this whole film is kind of um, shaped in a very soft, but terrifying way. When you talk about the framing of this movie being something that's nightmarish. Um, that's actually um, how it's sold. Like I, I glanced back at the trailer this morning mm. in, in preparation for this show to kind of remind myself of a few things. And the trailer is undercut by a part of the score that's meant to stoke up the tension, but it's the tension in the film is used in a very, very different moment. But mm-hmm. it, it under it underlies her sort of stumbling home and going through the 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 tragic evening that she does and that's not what this movie is this movie while being you know serious as a heart attack let's that's this is not a funny movie um Mm -hmm. is not something that i would really call horrific and i really think that that comes down to like you say the approach to the movie the really atmospheric 
blurriness of the movie it, it, it never wants to linger on anything and let it feel torturous like it knows that what it the story it's telling is already deeply 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 unpleasant you know mm-hmm. and it doesn't want to linger there in any kind of way that's going to put people off and make people tune out it does not want to be irreversible if there is an anti-irreversible it might very well be this movie um i really liked it as well it's kind of crazy because for a long time i cannot think about a movie that i had to fight harder to watch uh just because of the way i got my hands on it initially i rented it through one of the cinematechs in canada that's showing it and is showing it on a digital platform and for reasons that are entirely my own doing and have nothing to do with the Cinematheque or the platform, I was struggling with the stream. Like it kept kicking me out. So I kind of had to, ca- mm-hmm. I had to like reboot my TV and had to like restart the stream on top of the fact that I had already like coughed up $9 to see this. Um, it's an 80 minute movie that probably took me two hours and 20 minutes to watch. No, but, but, um, I cannot remember a time where that was more rewarding. Like I'm really not to sound like patting myself too much on the back, but I'm really happy that I stuck with it and pushed to really to finish this movie and stick with this movie because of everything involved. It's just such an incredible piece of filmmaking. Um, I had never heard of um, Shatera Michelle Ford before this. And now she is somebody who I'm going to keep, coming back to anytime she makes a movie. I had to sit with it for a little bit because I I wanted to shape my review in such a way where instead of like saying this was good, this was bad, this was just kind of talk about what the film was presenting. I've watched several interviews with Ford and she, first of all, I want to be her friend. (laughs) She was so cool and like really chill and she just looks like a really cool person. I'd love to get to know her. Now I regret not taking the PR upon interviewing her. She's just very dedicated to what the message of this film. She's very dedicated. And she really um, approaches the intersectionality of the film as well. Because you have a long list. You have two black women going out. They're being approached by two non-black men. I think maybe one of the guys might have been Asian or Mexican. I couldn't tell. He was a person of color. And yeah. the person that takes Renisha home is white. Her boyfriend is white. So you have like an interracial relationship. You have the relationship between two black women. You have the relationship of a black woman within the health system. Like there's a lot of layers to this film. And there's so much to, to kind of uh, kind of analyze that there's a lot to it. And you could watch it over and over again. And she had said that it was really difficult to film a lot of some of the scenes. I think she said when like her editor was in tears at one point and it's a very hard film like to watch, but I think it's really important. You need to have these films because you need to, as I, as I said before, you need to have these perspectives. As you say, it's, it's a lot, it, it does a lot very economically. Like there's an awful lot that's done with gestures, with looks, with cuts. Um, there's, there's a lot that's left unsaid that you can unpack as you talk about it with people, as you read about it from other perspectives, part of what got me interested in this movie was reading about it through critics of color, you know, saying that this is a movie that people should track down because it because it's a perspective and it includes multiple perspectives that you don't normally see on film 
And that I think leads to greater understanding of the world around us and certainly greater empathy. One of the things that is in the shorthand of this movie, like it's really not wailed on, but it's, mm-hmm. it's just, it's there. And if you, you kind of watch it a few times, you'll catch it is I do love the juxtaposition between Evan and Renisha's first meeting and where the story eventually goes with a sexual assault because Evan's meeting is clumsy as hell. Like Evan, he kind of has to ramp himself up to go dance with her. He has to ramp himself up to go ask for her number. He then does not call her text and have just cross paths with her like outside of a, (laughs) outside of a grocery store several weeks later. But what I love about that juxtaposition is it actually, it, it taps back onto something that came up in our conversation about promising young woman where you can see that Evan is really nervous and terrified. And let's be honest, afraid of rejection by a woman. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, a woman, any woman, I was going to say a woman like Renisha, but any woman, they're more afraid of what that man can do to her. You know, again, it's just, it's so compact in this movie and almost unnoticeable if you're not looking for it, but it's there. For one thing. Okay. So Renisha's, very beautiful like the the actress um she's very beautiful (laughs) to have this kind of like dorky guy kind of come up to her so you see like this gorgeous gorgeous woman um Brittany s hall she's actually kind of a little dorky around him too like she's she's poised but she's still a little dorky around her him and i really like that as you you mentioned like it's just a very awkward situation but then they kind of you know, they, they realize they like each other and it's very sweet compared to when this very aggressive guy, very overly confident man comes and he's like, why don't you have a drink? Come on, have fun, have drink, have drink, have a drink, you know? And he's just kind of badgering her and badgering her. And I remember in my younger years, like being badgered by guys at bars, have a drink, you know, do this, do that. Like, come on, have some fun. And it's like, stop putting your garbage on me, you know? Yeah. And you can see that Renisha's wall is up. He's just the antagonist. He's like this this gross guy who won't take no for an answer. The styling of Will Brill in this movie, he's reaching up when it comes yes. to his courtship of Renisha. Like, don't get me wrong, you, you style him properly and he's a good looking cat. But in this yeah. movie, he's got some bad facial hair. He's wearing <laughs> terrible clothes. He's, you know, it's, he is an absolute sweetheart. Like, do yeah. not discount that. But when you put the two of them together and it's like one's reaching and one's settling, you can tell who is who. Um, <laughs> but... Still, I I love that this movie has in it that underscoring of the disparity between um, Evan being just so nervous and so terrified and so clumsy and not knowing what to do with a girl who is on some level or other into him. I mean, like the first time we see them, he dances with her, but she was dancing with him and having a good time. And it's like, dude, she is she's sending you signals. You know, like mm-hmm. you may not be meant for a long term relationship, but she's interested in in you on some level. And yet he can't put that together. Meanwhile, when she goes out on her own, she has to deal with nightmares like like this. So it's like, you know, mm-hmm. that that old Margaret Atwood line of 
men are afraid that women will laugh at them. Women are afraid that men will kill them. This movie has that all over it. I don't know if this will come up later, but, you know, at the same time, there is a power dynamic where she's kind of, you know, she's got one extreme or on either side. She's got Evan and she's got the, the creep. They both are in positions of power in a way. Um, and then you'll see that when um, Evan insists that Renisha goes to the hospital and, and call the police. So you see that where he's not letting her process what happened to her. So yeah. kind of power dynamic shift where he's kind of dominating over her. Uh, whereas the, you know, the, the rapist dominated her and that she basically doesn't have the the agency in both situations because she's not not to say she's not in her right mind but she's not able to process what's happening to her in both situations to move forward with the plot so after her sexual assault she comes home um evan is just thankful that she's there he's not angry he's not he doesn't there's no yelling there's no fighting there's he's happy to see her and off screen they talk about what's happened and we you know like he lets her rest it off a little bit but then we kind of cut back to them midday the next day and he's like we need to take you to the hospital that then serves as the the real core of the movie and the real stress of the movie is trying to get her taken care of and trying to get her report taken it's an unusual conceit to hang a film on and like you say Mm -hmm. like there is a i hadn't really considered that there is a power dynamic there going on because she's not the one driving literally and figuratively driving this thing forward he's the one saying this is something we need to do just having known people that have gone through this particular situation um the last thing they want is someone badgering them to share this experience that they have no idea how to process, how to deal with. Um, Are they blaming themselves? Do they know what happened? Like there's a lot swirling around in someone's head. So to kind of badger someone into going to the police. And while I totally get it because he wants justice, he's thinking in kind of like, you know, black and white where you need to, we need to apprehend this person who has done this thing. And absolutely, this person should pay for um, his crime. However, there you have to have a certain sensitivity and kind of protect the person that is going through it as well. Because they may not immediately want to go and talk about their the assault. They may not know how to put it into words. You need to be delicate about it. And he he wasn't. He cared about her so much. But it was more as if he needed, this was his woman and he needed to take care of this. And it was more of an um, authoritative approach to his relationship. You know, mm-hmm. he wasn't thinking about her. He was thinking yeah. about his relationship and his girlfriend and someone did something to his girlfriend. The sick thing about it too is that, I mean, maybe he was thinking, if we don't do this now, we don't do this. I mean, it's one of the tragedies of a sexual assault that mm-hmm. if you don't act on it immediately, you lose all sorts of potential paths to justice. And like you mm-hmm. say, yeah, 
in an ideal world, a woman would just get her shit together and walk straight into a hospital. We'll get mm-hmm. to that in a second because apparently that's a whole other animal, but would just get yes. her shit together, walk into a hospital, log all of these details, and then push forward with grieving and getting herself together and trying to move forward and do whatever. The reality is we don't live in that world and nobody, and we never will, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's the, it's the dichotomy of what a person can do and what a person can do, uh, you know, what a person can do, like, you know, pragmatically and what they may or may not have the wherewithal to actually carry out. He's the one you're right. He's the one pushing her to, to get this stuff taken care of because it's their only shot. But meanwhile, she's the one quietly almost every time trying to say, I, I really don't know. I really don't. Like I, she, she never flat out says, we can't or I don't want to or no. She just finds different ways to phrase that and hopes that he'll pick up on the cues. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. he doesn't. You understand why. Like if you're looking at the world through his eyes or if you're even if you're just looking at it objectively, you understand why. But at the same time, you're like, you do. Do you need to look at this a little closer? Mm-hmm. And I wonder, too, um, just kind of going deeper into the character of Renisha, maybe she knew a friend who had gone through the same thing. And maybe she realized that, you know, sometimes these efforts are made in vain and sometimes things just don't end up the way they should, mm-hmm. you know, like apprehending the the bad guy and he, you know, he's getting, he goes to jail or what have you. Um because a lot of women, these situations go unreported because women are judged because they're drinking because they have they took a gummy they had a gummy uh, cannabis gummy they because they were wearing a short dress that's you know people will find any excuse to blame the victim and yeah. it's it's so frustrating because it's like can we not just be ourselves like women you know. Like, I used to want to go out, like, I came from a very Catholic family, and I used to want to go out and dance and party. And I, I wasn't a heavy drinker. I never did drugs. Um, and, you know, I just wanted to go and dance. Like, you just want to go out and have fun. And as you said, women have to think about all these scenarios that may happen if you let your guard down. And it's just, you know... Coming from a mother who was like, don't don't take a drink from anybody. Don't walk home alone. Look around. If you're like just a list, a laundry list of things you should be aware of as a woman, as a black woman, because, you know, we're not very much valued. I don't know if you um, have recalled um, dating app statistics and black women are basically at the bottom of the list for people picking on like the apps, you know, to go on a date. So having, you know, that in your in the back of your head thinking, well, you know, we're not valued. Um, it's just it's just really difficult to have fun, you know, and, yeah. and you see these two black women wanting to go out and have a drink and a girl's night. And well, it's just it only, just makes me sad. <laughs> not only that, but I think this is one of those things where I can tell that the storyteller is a woman of color is mm. that it goes out of its way to and i'm going to use this word again elegantly underline the fact that renisha didn't want to go out she Mm -hmm. didn't want to go out on a monday that it was it it was her friend's request 
She had just started a new job. She didn't really want to like get hammered. She was just going out to be a good friend, to listen to her friend and her friend like met a cute guy. So she's got to be a good friend and like kind of kind of wingman her for a little while. And this is how she found herself in this position. You know, it had nothing to do with her looking for a guy, her dancing suggestively, her dressing suggestively. It was just this was how she got here. You know, you could say, well, how did this happen? This movie shows you how it happened. And it wasn't like she was walking down a dark street. It wasn't like she wasn't paying attention. She was paying complete attention. And it just found herself in this situation like so many women do, you know, and and yeah, you find you look at the math of this and ask yourself, how could somebody not report it? And you're like, well, somebody could not report it because they didn't feel like, you know, that, that they were in control of the situation and they feel scared, ashamed, uh, you know, sad, depressed, you name it, traumatized, mm-hmm. all of the above, any of the above. And that's why that's how she got there. And it wasn't like you say anything that the victim should be blamed for because at every turn she was just going along for the ride until the ride took a very, very, very dark turn. I believe that that's a really amazing marriage of Hall's performance. Hall's performance in this movie is off the chart. Um, She's a woman who I'm going to be looking for and everything she does. And Ford's direction. You know, as we're talking about the film too, it just really, it makes me love this film even more because of the subtleties and the layers. It's a very complex film, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot going on. I wanted to bring up to you as well um, that flashback when uh, Evan, they're sitting in the backyard and Evan's like, oh, you know, I'm just thinking about the next tattoo I'm going to put on you. And he wants to brand her. And it's like, excuse me? (laughs) When I first so I was like, say what? Like, listen. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the director of Ford said that basically the character doesn't realize obviously what he's saying. And she said he she said she, it's meant to um, to not really have that much weight to it. Like he doesn't really realize what he's saying. Yeah. But like I'm. I'm in an interracial relationship. My boyfriend is white. <laughs> he would never, ever think of saying anything like that. Like, and not even absentmindedly. I, well, I mean, you know, Mark is an anarchist, punk, um, <laughs> anti-capitalist. Like, he is right. like every, <laughs> you know, anti- I love the backtracking. This is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, but yeah, like, I'm just like, wow, Th- that- that dynamic right there explains why Evan is so adamant about the, the way they should deal about the situation, you know? Which, I mean, the, the amazing thing, another one of those little subtleties of this movie is when they first, when they first um, have their, their date where they take their relationship to the next level, he goes over to her place for dinner and they end up having sex. He's undressing her and he finds her one little tattoo on her midriff. Yeah. And he's so enamored and so surprised because she's very, at that point in her career, she's very corporate. Her place is amazing. I feel bad that she gave that place up. Um, 
and, and she's very, she's very, very clean cut and he undresses her and he finds a tattoo mm-hmm. and he makes a big deal of it. Cause he's a tattoo artist and he's got a lot more visible artwork on his body. One of the little shorthands that I love is when you fast forward a few scenes and they're living together and it's obvious that they've been together a while. She's got like a full half sleeve at that yeah. point. Like, okay. If you did not do that to her, which I would bet good money, he probably did because yeah. there's, there's that kind of thing. You certainly had a hand in her wanting to do that. So it's like, you've already left literally an impression on this woman, you mm-hmm. know, um, that, is no big deal in, in, in the, ter- in the, the actual like storytelling of this movie. Like if you don't cat, like I think I skipped right past it. The first mm-hmm. time I watched this movie, I didn't really notice the, the conversation about the tattoo and that she's got like a half sleeve a few scenes later. That's one mm-hmm. of those elegant little things I love. That's in this movie of his impression on her and likewise her affection for him, because mm-hmm. you know, you, let's be honest here. If if you were dating a guy for a while and you weren't too sure about him, you're not going to let him have any say about artwork that you are permanently going to keep on your body. Yeah, it does say like, and you know that they love each other. And, you know, for all this power dynamic and his ownership, he, when it's whittled down, he's doing this because he loves her. And like after the ordeal, you know, the day after she comes down to breakfast and he's made her this big breakfast and, you know, he's like, oh, I made you. I even put chocolate chip. I'm like, oh, it made me want to cry. And then she goes and she kisses his forehead. And you know that there's a strength in the relationship there. It may not be 100% right now. And you don't know what the future holds. But she, then that little moment, like she just shows that she appreciates him. But that's yeah. all she can give him right now. You know, she can't scarf down this big meal to show him that, she appreciates him, but she can give him just a little peck on the forehead. And that always sucks. Like as, as you know, anytime you cook a lot of food for somebody and they don't like, you're, you're always grumpy when that happens, yeah. but you can tell, like, I mean, even with Evan, like you can tell that he probably made all of that stuff. And I mean, you can see like oranges cut for juice and they've got the coffee and the, the breakfast. Like he puts out a huge spread. Like you yeah. can tell that in the back of his brain, he probably has it knowing like, it's entirely possible that she doesn't even touch this, you know, mm. but he's still, he's like, I'm going to give it a shot. And yeah. yeah, she, she dismisses it and you kind of feel, but at the same time, like you can tell that he's, he's already pushed. Like he, he mm. you can see in him, like, like he pushed her hard enough the few days before to get the rape kit taken care of that. He is, he has played the pushing card for the last time for a long time. Like he knows he can't yeah. push her. What I think I would have maybe liked to have seen is a conversation between Renisha and her friend, you know? Yeah. Because her friend didn't look like she had a particularly good time either that night. I'm just kind of curious. Like, I don't, we we don't know what type of relationship. We know that the friend is very, um, she's a different personality to Renisha. Renisha seems to be very um, kind of internal in general. She doesn't seem to be like kind of an, an outgoing person, whereas her friend is very uh, vocal <laughs> at the club. <laughs> She's um, actually really quite funny. And then, you know, when the friend um, visits Renisha at the hospital, obviously she's more subdued. I don't know if it's um, she feels guilty because her friend was, um, is it Amber? I think her name was Amber, yeah. Yeah. was um, already, you know, 
completely blotto. Did she feel guilty that she maybe didn't pay attention enough and she couldn't help her friend? And there was also another thing I wanted to bring up. So uh, Renisha and Evan are going from hospital to hospital. They do not have either rape kits or nurses um, employed to do this sort of thing because it's a specialized treatment. Um, They finally find a hospital and the nurse that helps Renisha is black and she's Mm -hmm. very supportive and she's very gentle and very, she just takes her time with Renisha. And that is such a beautiful moment because um, I know that Ford was saying, you know, like Renisha is in this world where she just doesn't feel like she just, she's not getting any kind of comfort right now. So she said she really wanted to make this moment with a black nurse, you know, just mm-hmm. two black women and they're, and this, this black nurse is comforting her. That's why I thought the sensitivity of this film of test pattern was so gorgeous because it's just these two women. She's giving Renisha that time to breathe and to think about what happened to her. It's the opposite of what Evan's doing. Like Evan is actively pushing her get on this, get on this, get on this. Whereas the nurse is like, okay, we're here and we're going to take as much time as you need. And if you don't want any time, we'll do that too. If you want to do everything in this box, we'll do it. If you don't want to do all of it, we won't do all of it. She is exactly who Renisha needs in that moment. Mm -hmm. In the fact that she's a woman and the fact that she's a woman of color. It reminds me a lot of something that's come up a bunch of times on this show lately. I, I, I have no firsthand experience with this, of course. Whenever it's a room full of women, the dynamic will change the second a guy enters the room, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's just a matter of fact. It doesn't matter what kind of character the guy is, how heteronormative he presents himself, you name it. The second that a person of the opposite sex enters a room, there's a different dynamic that goes on. That goes on. So having this moment of actually finally getting to the core of this assault be between two women, two women of color Mm -hmm. is something that you don't see in film every day. And, you know, to double down on it, the fact that the director is a woman of color directing these two women of color in, this is how we're going to have this conversation. I don't know if Mm -hmm. any of them have any experience. I don't know. I have no clue, but in that Mm -hmm. moment, like it is very, very real to the furthest extent that it can be because of this safe space that these three women have created. There was one thing I wanted to bring up that I, I think that it's it could almost be seen as a throwaway, but I feel like it is important and I, I have no re- way to articulate it. So once she gets home and she's, you know, trying to collect herself as much as she can, she takes out her braids. Mm-hmm. Uh, Talk to me about that, because I know that there's probably something to that that I, of course, have no way to articulate. It, it could be many things, but I'm thinking... She doesn't want to be that person that got assaulted. Mm -hmm. She probably doesn't want to face that person that was assaulted. So the easiest way is to change your appearance, right? And so I think the removal of the braids, can I just point out too, the the, the color palette of this film? It was so beautiful. Um, And that scene where she's in the bathtub and then she's taking her braids out, that is like... um, to me, it, it conveyed like a numbness, um, like she wasn't yet processing, again, her feelings. And like, I think that the removing of the braids is kind of like she's trying to shed that person that got assaulted. 
and she wanted to see herself differently so that maybe it, it could help her in some way move forward. Removing braids is kind of an epic um task let's just say it doesn't take like 20 minutes you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah. i know i know that much yeah. yeah it's a long time so even that whole act could also help her in a way process like maybe it's helping her to kind of get to a point where she can actually function well i mean the other thing too is that something that you've just underlined is it's a sh- getting back to that word again elegant it's an elegant and shorthand way of telling you just how long she was in there. Mm-hmm. You know, like a person's bathroom is the safest space they can get. Like it's part of the reason why Psycho was so freakish was because the woman got murdered in a shower, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea that a woman who's been sexually assaulted bolts herself in a bathroom for hours is not outside of the realm of possibility but we can't linger on that in this film that's 80 minutes for a long, long time. But if you if you show her going in there with a head full of full braids and by the time she's leaving, she's taken them all out, that is a really quick way of saying, hey, y'all, she was in there for a while dealing mm-hmm. with this. And, and, and yeah, that's, so that's, and that's, that's kind of why I wanted to ask you. I'm like, you know, I know that this is significant. Um, mm-hmm. for all kinds of reasons. And, and that's, 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 and thank you for that. Cause I would not have put that one together. I, I think the last thing that I wanted to, to bring up about this movie, the movie's 80 minutes. We could easily be here for double that talking about <laughs> this, movie, which I think is a good yep. sign. Um, yeah. there's a scene in the middle of it. This movie constantly cuts the darkness and the heaviness of this, the aftermath of this assault by taking us back through the happier times of their relationship. And it's usually these like sun soaked afternoons. So they, they counter the color ballot that you're talking about. There's this moment where Renisha and Evan are going to a cookout at his friend's house and he's late and they have this conversation outside um, about like, you know, if I tell you to show up, you show up, or if you say you're going to show up, you show up. How did you take that? I wasn't sure either. It kind of, I had to sit with it for a while too. I feel like this is when they first started dating. So it's kind of fresh and yeah. they're kind of laying down the ground r- rules. And I think it's kind of showing the development of the power dynamic in that relationship mm-hmm. where she's like, look, I'm waiting. I've been waiting for you. So, you know, and it also shows their personalities too. She's not loosey goosey. She's, you know, as you say, she's comes from the corporate world and he's the tattoo artist. He's like, man, if I'm late, I'm late, you know, but then he apologizes. So it kind of shows he's making an effort to acknowledge that she's upset and she's actually telling him he's upset because I know when I first started dating my partner, I don't know if I would have said, oh, you're late. I would just would have like, I wouldn't have said anything, you know? So it shows that maybe her comfort level is, is to the point where she can tell him. I feel like it's showing like how the relationship was being built. I was taken with his response because Mm -hmm. you and I both met people who that could have been a fight. Like his first response is, you know, I forgot my phone and it was only 15 minutes. And she's like, no, 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 this is important. Like this is, this is something that we're going to have to establish now, right? Otherwise we're going to have a problem. And 
his next response is really interesting because he's like, okay, I recognize what you're saying right now. And he's like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. And I will try harder. And I mean that, I mean, to me was really indicative. If not what kind of man Evan is, then what, who he wants to be. Mm-hmm. And certainly what fuels this kind of overzealous response is, you know, I've already been called out once in this relationship for not being there when I should have been there. And the last thing I want is for mm-hmm. another time of saying, well, why didn't you push me to go to the hospital? You know, like he's, he's almost right. overcompensating, but that right. moment is beautiful in its own right. It's so quick. It's so short. You get an idea of how strong she is, how strong he is, because there's a lot mm-hmm. of guys who wouldn't respond that way. It gives me a little bit of hope because how they're able to process, you know, like it's, they're in that moment that like, here's a problem. We're going to deal with it. We're going to say, sorry, we're going to say, okay, I, I forgive you. And we're going to go into this cookout with my, mm. you know, great ass looking dish of food. It's take a drink people. It's an elegant way of describing <laughs> this relationship. It really, yeah, it really is. And, and it shows like kind of like the fact that they want to work on, on managing their expectations for each other and that sort of thing. So that, that they can move forward and they can have a deeper relationship. It's a great movie. And like I say, we could be here talking about it all night if, if I let us, um, but uh, we do have some other things to talk about. We end every review here on the matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep, you would. Um, it's strange. I know it's a strange movie to say, what would you take? But uh, Carolyn Morissette, what would you take from the uh, test pattern? The dogs. <laughs> <laughs> You knew I was going to say that, right? Did you know? Yeah. I, I think he's a good looking cook. Like I want some of that breakfast, uh, especially if Renisha's not going to eat it anyway. I'll take some chocolate chip pancakes. Uh, he, he puts on a good spread, man. I, I, I like that he like, he earns his keep. You know what I'm saying? Like he's, he's yeah. there's obviously like a, a, a an, an economic imbalance in this relationship, but that's just, there's a lot of relationships. And it's like, if you're not making the money, like how do you contribute? And it's like, quite clear that he contributes so it's, it's good to see and and i want some of his his wares um we rate here in the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars carolyn morissette what do you give shatera michelle for its test pattern i keep going back i want to give it a five out of five yeah i'll do give it a five out of five yeah, yeah. five out of five yeah, top, top marks um yeah. yeah for me this i you know i don't entirely know what year this film is for if it's i mean the, this year in film and i'm using air quotes for people who it's an audio medium that I should realize after 257 episodes, um, I, this year in film is a little bit blurry, you know, on top of the usual blurriness of film festivals and how they inform a year, you know, lines for what is a 2020 movie is strange. This movie is officially declared a 2019 film. I don't know, but all I can say is as far as the new films that I've seen this year, this is one of the best. And I really hope that it leads to good things for all involved because everybody in it is so damn talented. And I really think that everybody should track this movie down, throw it a few bucks and and check it out because it is so damn good and packs an awful lot into a very short runtime. You may think differently. You may hate this movie. You may think that we're not being effusive enough. Let me know. Ryan at the matinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA or facebook.com slash dark matinee. What do you think of Shatera Michelle Ford's test pattern? We are going to take a quick break and come right back after this and talk about some more movies. So come on back.
It's Matt Nacast 256. She's Carolyn Morissette. I'm Ryan McNeil. We've been talking about Test Pattern, uh, a new movie that's uh, making the rounds on demand and through various cinematechs um, in Toronto. You can find it by going through the Royal uh, website. Um, it's uh, at the Cinematech in Vancouver. You can go through their website as well and just kind of do a Google. You can find this movie making the rounds. This is the part of the podcast where we talk about the other side, other movies, other properties that um, could make for an interesting double feature. Uh, why don't you get us started? What did you think was somewhere people could go after Test Pattern if they were more of a glutton for punishment or perhaps wanted to cleanse the palate? If you want to kind of cleanse the palate and kind of lift yourself up a little bit with a bit more dark humor, because apparently Ford was saying that it, she wanted to bring out a little bit of dark humor as well in the film. I mean, one thing we didn't talk about is that Renisha spends a solid 15 minutes of this movie walking around with a cup of her own pee. Yeah, exactly. So, and then, that's yeah. In its own way. Yeah, it's a bit absurdist. Actually, the poster made me think of this first, and I'm like, am I out of my mind? You know the movie with Tim Roth and Tupac, Tupac Shakur, Gridlocked? <laughs> That's yeah. the second time in four episodes that Gridlocked is coming up. Yeah, I do remember that movie. Yeah. Well, and I kind of feel like because both films are on this wild goose chase, these guys are trying to get into rehab, and they keep getting sent off this way, that way, and the other. Plus, they have to bring in um, Cookie, Tandy Newton. They have to bring her to the hospital. They're just kind of like out of sorts trying to find a way to get into rehab, right? Um, and they're dealing with all this bureaucratic garbage. Obviously, it's not as subtle as Test Pattern, but I figure if you wanted to bring the mood up a little bit, you could watch um, Gridlock. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in years. I was trying to find it, but it just, I don't know. There's something about Test Pattern that made me think of Gridlock, so... Yeah. I mean, you know, like, first of all, anytime you can spend time with Tupac and Tim Roth in the same movie, you're yeah. in for a good time. You've got the, you've got, you know, you've got the commonality that they're both films by directors of color. Um, Gridlock yep. was directed by Vondi Curtis Hall. Um, mm -hmm. you're, you're taking something small and you're, you're, you're going to something much bigger with, you know, with, with, like you say, like Andy Newton and Tim Roth and Tupac Shakur. Um, I don't think I've seen this movie all the way through, but now the fact that, you know, you mentioned it and Odie Henderson mentioned it two or three episodes ago when we talked about One Night in Miami, I, oh. I, I'm pretty sure that this is a sign that I am meant to track down this movie from 1997. Yeah. And um, it's a black comedy, so it would be a little bit of a lighter romp than, than Test Pattern, that's for damn sure and give yeah. it a look so um thank you for adding it to my to see list my first thought of a movie that people could go on to after this movie um is it's another wade through the muck but it's another wade through the muck that i think is important it's a movie from last year that we we talked about it on the year-end podcast because i think i had it in my number three slot for the the best films of the year um it's a movie called never rarely sometimes always did you catch up with this one no, I saw it um, in, I think it was like, a, oh, I can't remember what, who it was, but I got an email with it and I'm like, oh, I should check this out. And then I never got around to it. So it's another film from last year. Um, another female director in this case as, as a, as a tying um, connection, uh, Eliza Hitman. And this movie is about uh, a teenage girl who finds herself pregnant and, 
wants to uh, terminate the pregnancy. Now, the reason why I bring these two movies up together is not to give yourself an unpleasant double feature, but to just to illustrate what women have to go through it, it. You know that I think that's what both of these movies do so damn well is they don't hammer home the morality of what's going on, even though obviously the morality of test pattern is far more black and white, right? Because everybody can agree rape is bad. You know, we, we have a, we have a bit of a problem deciding about abortion, but we can all agree rape is bad, but in both cases and never rarely, sometimes always and test pattern, the crux of the movie is on the logistics of what then in test pattern, we see how she has to go from place to place to place, just finding somebody who can provide this very, very valuable and very invasive follow-up to her assault. Never rarely, sometimes always is very much the same sort of idea where once you get past the question of whether or not a woman wants to carry a pregnancy to term, that in itself is, is a whole other film. How does, how does she go about it? And never rarely, sometimes always takes you through the hoops of how far she has to go, how much finagling of her own life she has to take care of. Like, you know, she's got to like ditch out of school and she's got to uh, beg off work from her job, not to mention coming up with some money. And then which clinics will be able to perform um, the medical attention that she needs based on where she is in her pregnancy and what she's eligible for. It's not about whether or not you agree with her decision to terminate the pregnancy. It's just showing you she has made this decision. Now here's what she has to do. These are the kinds of stories that haven't been told full stop. They're not told in film very often. Like, you know, we are told a million and one stories about a guy who wants to get a girl and, and Mm -hmm. what he has to go through to get her. We're not told stories about how hard it is to get a rape kit in Austin, if you are a woman of color, we're not told stories of how hard it is, you know, to terminate a pregnancy in Pennsylvania. If you're a girl under the age of 20, who happens to be in her second trimester? Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, I wonder about these, these people who are um, not pro choice, because it's like, well, I mean, it's the the, old, the age old answer. Okay, well, if you want me to have this kid, are you going to help me with it? Because or are you yeah. just going to complain about me being a welfare mother? And being a strain on the system. Well, that could have been, you know, taken care of if I was able to have a choice of what to do. You know, I'm, I'm gonna have to check that film out for sure. It's been an incredible year for female storytellers. And mm-hmm. one of the unforeseen benefits of a lot of blockbuster movies deciding to sit out the year because of the money they need to recoup for their product is it's given a lot of these smaller stories, a much bigger microphone. Like Lord knows if this was a normal February or March, I don't know if something like test pattern would have found my eyes and found my ears as, as important as I believe it is. And as much as I enjoyed it just because of the amount of noise that's usually in, in its way. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's one of these crazy things that the advantage of us all being locked down and all of this product being just socked away is these smaller films that decided to put themselves out there 
got a further reach, whether it was test pattern or never, sometimes, rarely, always. I think I botched that. Um, <laughs> what uh, what else did you have to go on to after test pattern? Funny enough, because you're talking about films that really haven't gotten out there. Um, another film that I thought of, uh, Natalia Leet's um, MFA. Have you seen that? No. Um, Tell me. About it's ba- it's such a good film. Um, I remember seeing it at the Royal um, a few years ago. I think it came out in 2017. And it's about this uh, young woman and she's working on her Master's of Fine Arts, obviously the name of the, the film. And um, she gets date raped and it's pretty horrific. And she doesn't know what to do. And then she ends up basically, it's a rape revenge film and she starts seeking out the rapists and doing away with them. And she actually reaches out to young women who hidden themselves um, after being date raped. As she's killing these men, she's becoming inspired to work on her MFA project or her, I guess, to get her master's. It's not really talked about because um, a lot of people have been talking about Promising Young Woman and how that one's kind of taking off. And I enjoyed that film too, but I feel like MFA uses the same techniques and I feel like it's a little bit better it's kind of like um there's bright colors um it's in your face and it's just really well acted and well done so I I would uh, check that one out if you can find it yeah it's I mean that that's some sometimes that's the trouble with the smaller movies is it's it's a little tricky to find but um you know just watch is our friend um and sometimes you can find hard copies of them floating around now uh, you know, the, the I guess the question that begs itself when we're talking about films like Test Pattern and like Promising Young Woman that we talked about two episodes ago is, in your estimation, um, how easy or how hard is this to watch? The actual act of the assault is pretty brutal. From what I remember, you know how they have like scoring in the background when something's happening? I don't think there's any scoring. And I think that's what makes it really kind of gut-wrenching aside from the actual act itself like there's just no scoring and um and i think it's just kind of process and her kind of becoming inspired from this incident that kind of helps you along because she kind of has to find a way to cope with this you know assault so Mm -hmm. i think that will kind of make it a little easier to watch you know and then just to see like it's kind of like um a, a, a wish fulfillment too right so yeah. you know that in real life this really can't like i mean like promising young woman you know that this most likely wouldn't happen yeah. so it's like watching this wish fulfillment so i think it's a, makes it a little easier <laughs> i yeah. guess yeah the director how do we pronounce this natalia light late light 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 i can't remember Natalia, something starting with an L, and, and a pro- apologies, Natalia, because I really should know yeah. how to pronounce your last name. But I'm I'm deeply curious about that movie now, so I'll I'll get myself in a really really good mood, and and you know track it down as soon as I can, and and totally destroy that good mood. Um, <laughs> and another movie I thought about, and I think this is one that's come up several times on the podcast over the years because it kind of lends itself to these kinds of films so well. It's a film from 2010 by Derek Chi in France. When's the last time you thought about Blue Valentine? Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's <laughs> crazy because that's a movie that I kind of feel came and went, even though 
it got like Michelle Williams got an Academy Award nomination out of it. But, um, uh, you know, it's, it's 10 years ago now, and, and it's a film that I think a lot of people have either forgotten about or maybe even never saw um, that just depicts this marriage, this relationship um, at its beginning and at its end. And along with the fact that it does an amazing job of making Ryan Gosling look undesirable because by the time we get to that end the end of that marriage he's balding and he's pudgy and it's like this is a guy who is like kind of an alpha male let's be honest so to make him look ugly and an old you know weathered husband is kind of a neat trick even though it doesn't take much it shows the dichotomy of the beginning of a relationship in the end which is touched upon several times within test pattern but of course there's other bigger fish to fry and i love movies like this that show how something can start one way but eventually turn into something else you've you've seen this movie i'm sure oh yeah ages ago yeah it was painful yeah i i think i've said before like i went and saw this movie alone and i came home to to my wife and i looked at her and i'm like are we okay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which we were but yeah. it was just it planted that seed of doubt in my mind because i'm like i don't want this to be us um but yeah. yeah i love the way the film can do that and show the beginning of a relationship the end of a relationship and you get that interspersed within test pattern quite often um which sometimes actually helps lift you up like i, I think that's that's the thing i love about the movie is that it can tell how long we've been in the muck sometimes and it's like it needs to yank us up and like take us back out to the sunshine for a minute and and spend some time in the backyard reading books with these couple with this couple well there we go that is episode 256 of the matinee cast and i am so thankful again for carolyn for coming by and teaching me a whole bunch of shit because that's what she does and she's awesome at it um come on back on uh monday march 16th for episode 257 we are finally going to discuss the oscar nominees for the upcoming year because we finally reached that time better late than never carolyn's writings can be found on a view from the dark do you have anything coming up that people can look forward to um not really uh blood in the snow submissions are open so if anybody's got a canadian genre film to submit it Throw um, in yeah. people. and yeah. uh and if anyone wants to follow you on twitter where can they find you at vfd pixie very nice my site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them in the usual places, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, Pocket Cast, Blueberry, and Apple, and then some new places, TuneIn, Radio Public, CastBox, and Podchaser. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. As always, if you're using a platform that's not one of those, let me know and I'll put my show there too. Feedback on Test Pattern can be left in the comments section of the site. You can email ryan at thematinee.ca. On Twitter, I am matinee underscore CA, and there's always Facebook, facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, Miss Morissette? Just support independent filmmakers, women of color. You know, they, they really have a hard time getting into the room to make their films. And, you know, Shatara used her own money and just support them because they are passionate about their craft. So... Yeah. Nine credit cards. Nine yeah. credit cards, you know? It's the damn movie. This woman spent her life savings. <laughs> For Carolyn, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee.